0: Hello and welcome to episode 112 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Marco uh, and once again I'm not joined by Tarek for this introduction but I'm pleased to say uh, he has recovered from Covid, that's not the reason that he's absent from this introduction. He ha- he is, in fact, in London at the CWA Daggers Awards, where, of course, his debut novel, Welcome to Cooper, has been nominated for debut of the year, which was very exciting. Um, unfortunately, he didn't win Janice Hallett, won for The Appeal, but uh, I know Tarek had a great time, and obviously it's a brilliant achievement even getting onto that shortlist. So um, I'm sure he'll tell us about it in a future episode. But anyway, enough about Tarek. And uh, thanks for joining us on page one, where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers, hear how they got into the industry, and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. And we've had some really brilliant guests over the past 111 episodes. Just this season, we've spoken with Hollywood screenwriter and director, Nicholas Mayer, uh, author Rob Hart, Sam Holland, Jane Schemmel, Ed MacDonald. Uh, going further back, we have spoken to people like Ian Rankin, Nick Hornby, David Nichols, Sarah Pimbra. So there's a whole great array of uh, authors, screenwriters, journalists, comedians, video game writers. So please do check out the back catalogue if you haven't done that before. But this week we have uh, another brilliant guest on the podcast. We're speaking with uh, sci-fi and fantasy author Martha Wells, whose first book came out in 1993, uh, but um, since then she's uh, worked on her own fantasy series uh, and um, most recently and most famously perhaps The Murderbot Diaries, which have been a smash hit and as we'll hear in the podcast, actually rescued her from what was a bit of a lull in her career and it's really interesting hearing what Martha has to say about that because often... I'm sure when uh, authors get published they think that's it I'm published now now this should get easier as you go on but it definitely doesn't and even someone as successful as Martha was can have this sort of dip in her career and as she says to us she was almost going to give up uh, her own writing but then fortunately she didn't she wrote the murder murder book diaries which then have gone on to become a phenomenal success even being made into a TV series soon. And we speak to her about that as well. So it's a really great episode. Um, so I'll get straight into it after a quick advert for our writer's notebook, and then I'll be back at the end of the podcast just to let you know about next week's guest. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is... Write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow.
1: But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure? Screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story We truly believe that when you use it It will help you get to the main event Writing your story So we hope this helps
0: We can't wait to read what you come up with
1: And remember Every story starts with page one
0: So I I always start these uh, podcasts with the same question Which is, uh, did you always want to be a writer?
2: Um I think I did. I I can't really remember um, a time when I didn't. I was really into um, science fiction and fantasy really early on. Um, that was back when we only had, we didn't have cable TV or anything. We had five channels, five broadcast channels. And one of them was an independent that showed like Godzilla movies and monster movies and things like Lost in Space and Land of the Giants. And I was always trying to make my own stories to go with those things. It's like really early proto fan fiction or something. Um, And I just remember, I think the thing that probably really got me wanting to be a writer is my mother really liked the Irma Bombeck books. And she was a a really a columnist in the newspaper. And she wrote about um, it was a humor column about her family and, and kind of living in suburbia and all this kind of stuff. But she wrote a lot about being a writer and that was kind of my, and I read those books really early and those were kind of my um, earliest notion that, yeah, writers were real people and being a writer was a job that you could do mm-hmm. um, and a job that a woman could do. So I really always, when I, I'm, I know when I was in in high school and uh before I went to college, I was trying. I wanted to be a fiction writer, though I had absolutely zero idea how to go about that at that point.
0: And did you? So, 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 how did you go about it? How, how did you take those first steps into it? Then?
2: I actually chose Texas A and M University because they had a science fiction and fantasy student committee that cool. put on conventions, and I wanted. I knew I wanted to be involved in fandom because I'd been reading Starlog magazine, and at that time, they did. Kind of movie and media reporting but they also did book reviews and they talked a lot about fandom activities and conventions and things so when I, I knew i wanted to be involved in that and when i um went to a m uh, and i joined the it was called separate variable the science fiction fantasy committee and um, one of the f- i think in the first semester i was there stephen gould who um lived in college station did a writer's a science fiction writer's workshop through uh, what they called at the time the free university, and it was kind of a community um, community education thing that the university did. I don't think they do it any kind anything like that anymore. But you could, there was all these classes like different languages and and uh, bartending and astronomy and writing and all these other kinds of things that they would do for for just anybody. You didn't have to be enrolled to do them. Anybody mm-hmm. could sign up for them. Um, and he did a a writing workshop and so that's how I met him and I did my first story at that workshop and and that kind of really set me off into then going to conventions and finding out a lot more about how publishing worked and how agents worked and how you set about trying to be published
1: it's been we've we've chatted quite a few folk and 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 a lot of them have had some kind of writing training whether it's doing a a course or like a formal training or just going to a, a writing class or a workshop or a, a writer's group and 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 some people have done none of that and and in your view what you know is it something that you would recommend people do if they're if they're aspiring writers wanting to start out there is it, is it a good thing obviously you find it very helpful and is it something you would recommend that other people try
2: um I took one class one formal class at the university in creative writing and it was really geared toward um literary writing the professor was not interested in sign in the fancy story i wrote and and there was really no information no kind of concept of genre being a legitimate thing to do at all there yeah. so it was really not i mean there was it um it really wasn't that helpful the literature classes i took were a lot more helpful mm-hmm. um i think it's different though there are some universities now where their creative writing course actually has someone who's a science fiction fantasy writer as um uh attached to it as a professor to to teach and i think if you're going to be able if you have the opportunity to do something like that that would probably be helpful but um for me the genre workshops um i took workshops from stephen gold from uh rory harper um there were workshops in um Austin and uh, Houston that I went to I went to the the Turkey City workshop taught by Bruce Sterling and that was really helpful I didn't do clarion i would I would never have had time or money to do clarion or anything like that um, but that was about all I did I think it it's really an individual thing because I know I have friends who are writers who tried to do workshops and just had a bad experience from the get-go and it, it was never helpful for them so it's really such an individual thing and i know a lot of people really like the you know the writing manuals kind of the the how-to books and they they get a lot of out of that but i've never i've never read one i've never um that never really appealed to me at all so i it's a really individual process i think
0: and did, did did these workshops presumably were you getting feedback on your own writing and things like that at that and did that help in terms of you know Honing um, your own your own craft
2: yeah you um, usually you're uh, getting work feedback on your story and then you're critiquing the other people's stories in your group and they're critiquing it so it really does teach you about I feel about how to interpret criticism mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of people go in and they don't they've never had much experience with that and it helps to know that when people have a, have a problem with something in the story, they, they don't think it's working right. They don't understand it. Oftentimes the problem in the story is not there. The problem is earlier when it was set up. And I think until you get the experience of hearing people criticize your story or you know give you comments and then trying to figure out what they mean by those comments and where they got that idea and, and, and just learning how to interpret it, because um, sometimes people are just—they know something's wrong, but they can't tell you what it is, or they—they they try to tell you what it is, and it's not—it's—it's it's, that's not it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and also, um, I actually like writing workshops where people give you suggestions for the story or the novel or whatever your your the project that's in progress. Um, and because I think those suggestions are almost as helpful as any other kind of criticism, because they tell you what people are expecting from it what kind of where people think the story is going and that can be really valuable because it can tell you you know you've given people you've really given your reader the wrong idea about what's mm. going to happen in this book uh, or is, is that a good thing or a bad thing is that a um, nice red herring or is that just people are, are coming up with expectations and are going to be disappointed because the story is going in a different direction um, I think that i think that's really helpful i know some workshops really don't like that but i don't know i feel i would it would be difficult for me to critique a story without telling or a story that was in progress without telling the person where i thought they were going with it
0: yeah no i I think that is a a massively valuable thing actually i have i've experienced that myself and yeah sometimes you give something and then you think it's obvious where you're trying to point them, I and mean, they come yeah, back with something I mean, it, entirely different.
2: Yeah, and it really is not. Yeah,
0: um, and it, obviously that that uh, all the, all the, all those workshops and stuff led to um, your first published book, The Element of Fire, in, in 1993. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how did that come about? Did you find an agent, or was it direct to a publisher? Or how, how what was the path there?
2: Um, I found an agent, and actually. Um... Stephen Gould had I think he had moved to New York at that point and he was writing his first novel Jumper and um he got uh an inquiry from an agent uh who'd read his short fiction and w- wanted to ask if he was looking for a representation for a novel or anything and he wasn't at the, at that time and he passed the agent along to me and um he ended up reading the partial I had at that point of the element of fire and um asked to see the whole book when it was done and then when it was finished he um, agreed to represent me and he sent it first to I think it was it was either Bantam or Ballantyne and it was turned down and then it was sent to Tor and it was accepted which was a huge shock for me (laughs) I was it was you know it's always a huge moment when you sell your first book And, um, and I was I think I at that time I was probably uh 25 or 26 I'm not sure I I'm not sure exactly anymore and uh it was I had no idea what I was doing as a published writer I just had no I I I knew how to get to that point but um that's all I'd been focusing on I didn't really know very much about the publishing process and and so the whole thing was a huge learning experience
1: and was was the element of fire the first book that you tried to write, or had you had you had some false starts, or was that the kind of the, your first book that you kind of really felt that you wanted to write?
2: That was the first book I, I, I wrote. Um, I'd done some short stories and I'd written fan fiction for Star Wars, like a lot of women my age at that time, <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of people my age actually, and um, that was. And, uh, but I was in a, a, a local. Writing workshop with Stephen Gold and Laura Mixon and some other people at that time, and I we did we met every month, and I did a chapter a month, and uh, that's how I wrote the book.
0: And and obviously that that was the first book in in the seat in the series. Um, Sorry, how do you say the series? I'm not sure how you. Uh, Ilrian. Ilrian, yeah, and um, uh, which obviously. went on to success but but the there was a period i think where you uh, you suffered a lull in your career is that is that fair to say
2: oh yeah uh that was around um 2006 um when that started uh basically i'd been i was at tour for the first two books and then moved to uh harper or uh Avon eos for the death of the necromancer and did really well with death of the necromancer but then uh harper collins discontinued their science fiction and fantasy line and bought eos and um and then kind of changed everything about eos that was working really well and (laughs) and so they had i i'd sold avon eos the the ilrian trilogy at that point and um will of the infinite was the other standalone Fancy and it didn't do very well. And then the trilogy, they just kind of by the third book, it was, it had, the sales had really dropped off dramatically. And they had, there were people who had, I'm not even quite sure how they released it because um, there were people who had the second book and didn't know there was a first book. Mm-hmm. And there were people who uh, never found the third book until much later, basically. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it was not released well. And, um, So, and it was just really weird in 2006. I think I had, I had more things coming out that year than I ever had before but that was basically the end of the first part of my career because the publisher dropped me. And a friend of mine described it as basically, it's like you you've been fired from your job, but they don't tell you. So you keep coming into work (laughs) and (laughs) gradually realize, you know, they aren't paying you and no one wants you there and that kind of thing. And you kind of have to take yourself off on your (laughs) own. Um, So I was, I, and that was when I, I tried to start several different novels and I had, I never had novels die on the vine like that before. And I probably had 10 books die on the vine that I was working on. Um. And I was selling some short stories to Black Gate at that point, but then I just hit a period where, um, around I guess it was 2008, I I couldn't sell anything. Everything I sent out just came back, and even short fiction. And uh, though I've never been much of a short fiction writer. I'm really I'm really better at longer longer links. And then I changed to a different agent. I was able to get a different agent, um, which a whole saga <laughs> itself. Yeah. But, I started writing The Cloud Roads and, um, oh, I had actually done, I'd done two Stargate Atlantis tie-ins and I think that was helpful to me because it kind of got me out of the mindset of the kind of fantasy I was doing, which was trying to be very, even though it was secondary world fantasy, trying to be very historically um, uh, accurate and Mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff to to the periods that I was trying to duplicate and into just doing something new. And then I started the Cloud Roads and finished it, and um, my agent was sending it around, and it literally made the rounds of probably, I don't know how many publishers, uh, at least seven or eight, ten, something like that. It took about two years, and that was constantly, uh, my agent was constantly sending it out every time it came back. And I wrote The Serpent Sea, and I wrote um, the first young adult book I tried, Emily in the Hollow World. And after that point, um, I was really getting ready to shut my career down. It, and I was I had been accepting invitations to the local conventions that I usually went to, like Armadillo Con and and uh, Con DFW and all that. And I was basically getting ready to write and say, no, I'm you know, I'm just I'm not coming as a pro anymore and, and basically look for um, another job. I'd had an IT job up until around uh, I guess it was 2006 and I'd been trying to write full-time after that but yeah it was obviously not working out and then my agent called me and Nightshade had asked for had offered for the Cloud Roads and the second book uh, The Serpent Sea and so that kind of uh, started everything and it was really like starting over from the beginning because I'd only been gone like two or three years and people nobody had heard of me it was just like I disappeared from the earth so it was interesting
0: and how did how did you you know obviously the the, the the goal of any aspiring writer is to get picked up is to get the publishing deal and all that and i suppose there's a sort of thought that once you're on that track then it, it you continue down it quite happily i mean how, how did you did you know did you ever suffer a motivation you know why am i writing this if, you know at that at that period of time was it difficult to continue writing at that point
2: um sometimes it was but it was like it's the only thing I've ever really wanted to do Mm -hmm. and so I wanted to keep doing it if I hadn't been able to sell the cloud roads I probably would have stopped doing original fiction so much I probably would have just written for myself or written fan fiction or but I would have kept writing even though I really enjoy my original fiction but yeah not having that that motivation, that you know, to be published. I don't. I'm not sure how much how much longer I would have continued if with original fiction.
1: And when you, I mean, it seems that you were you made a lot of brave choices during that phase. You know, in terms of kickstarting everything going again. You know, changing agent, um, working out what stuff you wanted to write about, and and I mean, changing agents is quite a brave thing to do, especially. I think there's that kind of feeling of a lot of people have, which is you've, it's so hard to try and get one when you've got one, you don't want to go back to state step one again. And, but, but, but that was a quite a, a bold step. And was that a hard thing to do and to, and to, and to reach the decision that you, that's what you had to do.
2: I think I actually waited too late. I've waited too long to do it because I think uh, my first agent, I think he'd kind of lost interest in me when things stopped working out and he wasn't, engaged with my work, and there were a lot of signs that I kind of put up with that I should have probably acted before then, but, um, you know, I was, uh, again, as you say, it's, it's very frightening thing to do, and it's, you know, uh, but I finally just kind of hit the realization of this is not working out, and I talked to um, a friend of mine, Roxanne Conrad, who, she's passed away, uh, these a few years ago, but she, um, she wrote as Rachel Kane, and she uh, started, I think, about the same time as I did, or a little bit before, and she'd had three career crashes up to this point, where, and she, I think Rachel Kane was her third different name that she was using, and she'd gotten through every one, so I talked to her, and, and she was like, yes, you need a new agent. She gave me some recommendations. And I think I'd been trying to switch agents by that point. And I'd actually, uh, submitted a partial of the cloud roads to an agent that had actually talked to me when I think death of the necromancer came out asking if I, if, you know, if I ever wanted to change representation or whatever, you know, had, had, had basically contacted me and, Uh, he was from a fairly big agency and apparently my and I waited and I got a good response from one of the agents below him and then waited and after I wrote her back and and then never heard anything and basically when I finally wrote back again um, I got a got a um, reply from an assistant that basically said well we're only interested in established writers and who thought i had like cold submitted this partial without you know and i guess yeah. my the letter i had written to send with it had been lost or separated from the rest mm-hmm. of the work and the agent i'd been talking to had left the agency and maybe because the assistants were so mean and incompetent who knew I maybe mean, that's why I was- <laughs> but uh so that was really disappointing and so that's when i talked to Roxanne and and she was like no you need to do this and she gave me the names of two agents and I submitted something to the first one and, and um, she said she didn't think we'd be compatible. It wasn't quite what she liked to, uh, what she liked to represent. And then the second one uh, was Jennifer Jackson, who's still, who's my agent now. And um, she'd actually read The Death of the Necromancer and knew who I was. So that was nice. And she, yeah, and we've been together since then.
0: Yeah, unfortunately um, for for all of us that that happened, and, yeah. and obviously the, the the series of uh, uh, the books of uh, Raksura then uh, came out successfully at that point, and more recently uh, the the Murder Boat Diaries as well have, have have made you really well known. I think again, um, how did you you know? Obviously, you you started out in in fantasy. Uh, writing and moved into the sci-fi world as well i know you had an interest in both but and um, what was it that made you with the murder diaries made you want to write in that in that world
2: um well when i came up with the idea for the story i was actually for all systems red i was finishing up the first draft of the harbors of the sun and i was having a lot of different ideas for stuff for all kinds of stuff and i got the idea basically the basic idea for all systems Red, and um, I realized it's a science fiction idea. There's no way I could make it a fantasy story, but I would have to hand wave so much stuff. It just didn't feel very, it felt like it would be so awkward. Uh, It was obviously a science fiction story. And so I was thought, I was still working on this novel and I, well, I'm just going to write this idea down so I don't forget it. And then I ended up writing like five pages just like that of the, the scene where Mensa knocks on the cubicle wall and talks to Murderbot, and the whole thing kind of built around that um the day i finished what i thought was the complete draft of the harbors of the sun but i ended up realizing i hadn't it, it was not right and i had to i had to email the editor and tell him i'm not going to submit another draft i added like 100 pages and make the book much better i thought but um the next day i i started all systems red and And I'm usually not a fast writer, so it was really kind of wild for the story to come together so quickly and to have, you know, a 33,000 word novella within like less than a month. So I don't, I think it was just, I'd been reading things like Ancillary Justice by Ann Licky, that trilogy and some other things. And I think it just all kind of came together, just years of reading and watching science fiction, you know, then this came out of it.
1: And when you come down to, I mean, it, it sounds like the first book was a kind of, as you say, it, it, almost you've been waiting for this story, and it kind of spilled out of you in one go. And, and then, and then after that, and and looking at your, at, at your books, um, I know you you have a degree in anthropology, and I'm assuming that kind of plays into your love of kind of building these big worlds, whether it's a fantasy world or a sci-fi world. And th- does that extend to planning? books themselves like in terms of the plotting do you sit down do you plan out the world the characters the story or do you kind of just write and see where it takes you
2: um I used to do a lot of planning the world a lot of coming up with um like basically the settings and um kind of material culture and all that kind of thing for my first few books and then with the cloud roads that's one thing I did differently it's like I've got this it's more a vibe than anything else. And I'm just gonna write to that and see what what happens. And that was also one way of kind of getting the fun back into it for me. Um, so that's kind of what I've been doing since then. I do think all the, the working on world building for the first few books did basically teach me a lot of things about it. I'm not, I wouldn't probably wouldn't be able to do it now. Uh, more easily if I hadn't gone through all that work and kind of research and prep uh, for those first few books. Um, I don't tend to plan out the plot in advance. Someone, someone online called it a, uh, being a discovery writer, mm-hmm. which sounds better than being a pantser, <laughs> um, because you're 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 discovering the story at the same time as the reader. And actually, I've talked to um, I have a friend who, I had a friend who was a mystery writer. Um, who said he did the same thing because basically the, the the audience can't figure out who the murderer is if you don't know yet so um, I've always really
1: yeah
2: you know it's hard to telegraph things when you don't know what they are <laughs> um, so I've always kind of done that and what it means is basically I do a lot of revision as I go along I know there's been things that says oh no just finish the first draft da, 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 don't ever look back and it's like I have to or I forget what I'm doing so I go when well, if I change my mind about something or I realize something needs to be fixed in the plot I'll go back and I'll I'll rewrite at that moment and uh, it takes me longer to get the first draft but then the first draft is a lot further along than it would be if I just like kind of you know, barrel, tried to barrel through and then ended up with, you know, the book where, you know, it was really had gone off the rails at several points and I just kind of ignored it and kept going. So that's always, that's always worked for me. And I know some people just really um, outlining and all other stuff is is just, you know, is just the only way that they, they can do it. And that really and it really works for them but I've always just kind of gone out and just done it <laughs> the,
0: the the murder book Diaries in particular read like you know they're a lot of fun to read and it, it strikes me as they'd be a lot of fun to write as well because obviously they're they're shorter um, they're novellas but yeah there's a lot packed into them uh, happening at quite a quick pace and it, it seems like quite a lot of fun to to um right uh, did, did you enjoy working in that slightly shorter form than the um, full sort of novel then
2: yeah i did uh, i'd written some um i writ i think four novellas for the Raxura series um that take place kind of in and around the series uh so i'd done that form before i the first all systems read was a lot of fun to write the others they're fun when they work when I, when I finally get them going, the others have all taken about three to four months to write because a lot of times they're, they're kind of logistically complicated, even though the plot's not terribly complicated. So it'll take me, I'll, I'll write like sometimes 5,000 words, sometimes as much as 20,000 words, and then realize a lot of it has to go and go back and start at the beginning again. For example, artificial condition in the first few versions of the beginning, uh, art wasn't even a character art was just like a couple of lines um, of something that happened to Murderbot on the way to the space station. And then I realized that the problem was I was starting in the wrong place of the story and I needed to go back. And um, also I needed to show the incident Murderbot talks about is where this transport ship helped it change its appearance with the, the medical setup. And when I, as soon as Murderbot and art started to talk and it's just this character came in and it was like yeah this is the core of the story is the relationship between these two characters um and and each book each novella has been like that it takes like usually at least three months for me to really get to the core of the story and figure it out and part of that is the fight scenes are often so difficult because i can't Murderbot has all these abilities that i've given it and now i have to take those <laughs> into account whenever there's an action scene and so it just they, i cannot have to do them in layers and it's kind of like this is what i want to happen and but Murder By is going to be able to do this, so I had to add that in, and it's going to be able to do this, so I have to add this in, so they're very complicated. Network Effect was, um, I was also writing um, a Magic Story for Magic the Gathering for the first couple, three months when I'd started Network Effects. So that's one reason why it was slow, and the other is it took me probably a year to do the first fifty thousand words, and it was just starting over, starting in the wrong place, starting on the wrong planet, starting over and over again, and then finally getting. And once I finally got going on it, then it was it was the the second half of it, which meant what went much quicker. But yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I, I know. I know you said that you you, you you discover write these ones now, but do you have? You know, do, do you have if not an arc for? murder but do you have some ideas for the future th- that you want to see in any of these
2: yeah um the first arc was the was the first four novellas and when mm-hmm. i wrote all systems red i thought that was going to be it that was going to be the only one and then when they bought it they asked for a second a second novella it didn't have to be Murderbot; it could be something else and that's when i decided well i, wanna, I really like this character i want to keep going and i wrote artificial condition and then by the end of artificial condition i thought what I want to do is get Murderbot back to Mensa, but now as a more independent figure, where they can have a more an equal relationship. <clears throat> if it had stayed with her at the end of All Systems Red, it would have just been like trading up to a nicer captor. It would not have been. Um, it would not have developed the way it did. Um, so, but I did want it to come back, and and I had the idea of it coming back and rescuing her, and so that's why I was working toward through. Um, rogue protocol and then then finally getting to exit strategy and after that i thought it was going to be it and then thought about it and it's like i really wanted to get art back in the story and um i think the publisher kind of wanted a novel at that point so so that that would be a good place to do it is is and i figured out a way to to uh basically the germ of the idea of art having to come to to bot for help and then so that was network effect and then. For fugitive telemetry, it's it's actually set before network effect, because I was trying to start um, basically a sequel to network effect in novella form, and then, and it just wasn't working. And so, but I had the idea, I'd, I'd, I'd mentioned this, there's a bit in network effect where Murderbot refers to working with the preservation station security, and describes a little bit of that, and I thought that would, that's an, expl- that's, that's kind of a journey from how it got, how it would get to sort of semi-trusting these people and working with them. So that's what I wanted to write. So that became Fugitive Telemetry. And so now I've gone back and I'm working on um, the next Murderbot novella, which is set after Network Effect. And I tried several times to get it started during, it was like right when the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. And I beat my head against the wall on this for, I think probably three or four months. And it just wasn't coming together. And that's when I stopped and I wrote uh, a fancy novel called Witch King, which is coming out next May in 2023. And, um, and then I tentatively went back to the Murderbot novella and was really shocked when I actually started to be able to work on it. So whatever my problem was with it, I somehow got it out of my system. But I think I was still just in a mindset where this story is not going to work. <laughs> Nothing I do to it will help. And so having that break really did help may continue with it
0: yeah it's funny we've spoken to some other authors that have you know ongoing series but they say that you know writing a standalone in a you know completely unrelated standalone can sometimes really just help when they go back to the to the series it's sort of a palate cleanser almost or something that you need to break to then be able to revisit those characters
2: I think it's like you you wear pathways in your brain and you're thinking of, yeah. of things in the same way over and over again. And um, you really have to shock yourself out of that. And a lot of times, the only time is just doing something completely different. Um, on Project Runway, Tim Gunn would tell who has who has a lot of things to say for. Uh, that's really advice that's valuable for all kinds of creative people, I think, and not not just fashion, but he talks about, to tell, when people are stuck, he says, you need to free yourself from this, and that's really what I needed to do, I just needed something completely different that, and not think about the novella at all, until I had a chance to really kind of get my mindset out of these, this tracks that it was in.
1: I wanted to ask about the Novella format because it's not it's a format that you don't really see that often um, anymore, and it's it's often something which people are often discouraged almost to write. But you know the 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 things I always read about it is that there's no market for novellas, or people are you know it's either going to be a short story or a full length novel, and there's a whole other world of average word counts that you need to hit for a crime or for a fantasy and sci fi etc. And so so. Did you find it difficult? what well, One, why did you go down the novella route? And two, did you find it difficult to sell the novella route? Because you found great success through that, which is quite surprising.
2: Well, I think that was the case, you know, uh, maybe five to 10 years ago. But when ebooks came in, one of the first mm-hmm. things, that, because there was no market, because yeah, a print magazine is too small. They usually only want one, one novella, if that. You know, there was it was too small for a book form anymore, uh, though a lot of the big science fiction novels of the pulp area are, are novella yeah. sized or close to that. Um, but when ebooks came in, a lot of people started writing novellas and self-publishing them. And so and then the online magazines that are now they have whatever room they want, they can stick in however many novellas they want, as long as they can, you know, pay the writer, made novellas, started to make novellas more popular and then there's now there's at least three or four publishers who regularly do novellas as ebook and then these print small print chapbooks and i'd been reading uh, tor.com's novellas i think the first one was the sorcerer of the wild deeps by kaya shanty wilson which is an incredible book and i think it was just robbed for awards because it it's actually a little bit over the novella limit for both, I think both the Nebula and the, the Hugo. Um, but I thought I was just blown away by that book. So I was looking and also how beautiful their print package is. And I was looking at, uh, I was reading their tour novellas. And so when I was trying to write All Systems Red and realized this is gonna be too long for a short story. I'm not, and I'm, and I don't see the story going to a novel the tor.com novella would be perfect and that's i asked my agent about it and she said yeah that's a great idea you know finish it and we'll we'll try to sell it to them and that's what happened
0: <laughs> and um i think i'm right in saying that you've recently signed a six book deal with tor including three more uh, murder bought books um, and yeah. so have you got have you got all three of those the ideas for all three of those in your head or or just the next one
2: just the next one um i've which king is the first book in that deal and then i'll probably do a sequel to it that's what i'm going to try to start after this novella um and it's supposed to be at least two novellas or at least one murderbot novel so uh that's what i'm working toward and i've got an idea of kind of where i want to go with it but we'll see how that develops cuz i'll probably do maybe i'm not sure what's going to be next after I write the Witch King sequel. It may be the Murderbot novel because I may have had it when I finish this novella. I think I may have it developed enough to start, basically. So, yeah, that's going to be, that's my next few years taken care of and <laughs> what I'm and, working on.
1: Um, you mentioned just there about writing for Magic the Gathering, which is something I wanted to ask you about. So for for those that, because that's a card game, essentially, for and for, for those that haven't played it um could you tell us a little bit about what it was and 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 what kind of writing that you did for that?
2: Well, the card game um is kind of in some ways it's separate from the magic story because the story, the, the magic story is about the characters and the worlds that show up in the card game. And it's this <laughs> epic story has been going on for a long time, starting with. The first world they it, it's it started in Dominaria, and then they create these different worlds. It's kind of like they call it planes walking, and it's kind of like transitioning from one. You know, there are people who uh, get the ability to transition from one world to another, and they're all fighting each other at this. Or in, in large groups of them are fighting each other. But um, the section I was going to do is they were going to do take the main storyline, which had been going on for quite a few years uh back to dominaria and bring some of their original characters from that world back into this main storyline that's what i was going to do and um it's 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 on the website and actually people can just go to their website and read all the magic story that's that's up there and then there's been a few novels written uh tie-in novels over the years and i think they actually finished the storyline i was working on i did that part of in a novel a year or two ago um But it was really fun to work on because I kind of always liked working in groups and kind of coming up with ideas. So I got to work with Nick Kelman, who is my editor there, and and, um, we worked on it a lot. And there was an outline I was working from for these these stories. Uh, Some parts of it were really detailed because it had to reference all this story that they'd done before and what it was working up toward. And then some were just... Okay, in this story, these two characters need to meet and mm. this thing needs to happen. And, you know, and, and so I came up with the rest of it. And I got to do come up with backstories for the new characters and and um and kind of do their personalities and everything. And it was just a lot of fun. And one of the fun moments was when towards the end, I figured out something that I needed to have happen. But it didn't sound like it was going to be possible with the way they have their the magic set up and the way things work. So I asked my editor, you know, I want to do this, but it doesn't look like it's going to work. Is that that correct? And he said, Well, I asked the world building team, and the world building team came back and said, No, it won't work. But they really like that idea, so do it, and they'll figure out a way to make it make <laughs> sense later <laughs> and to explain it why this happened this one occasion. So,
0: Excellent. I
1: didn't realize that so many writers. You know, folk work on the world, folk in the story. It sounds like a really kind of much more collaborative uh, yeah. process than I, I actually thought it was. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: And and you've you know that's you've worked on that franchise, but you've also, as you mentioned earlier, you've you've worked in novels for other franchises, Stargate, Gate, uh, Star Wars. And is it good fun? Do you, do you enjoy playing in other people's sandboxes as opposed to your own fiction sometimes. Is that another, I suppose, sort of palette cleanser type thing?
2: Yeah. I enjoyed the Stargate Atlantis a lot because uh it's a fun show to make up stuff for. And um uh I had a lot of creative freedom uh Mm -hmm. and to for the plot and what was going on and everything. Um Star Wars, I really I was a huge Star Wars fan starting from when I was 13 years old and the first movie came out. Uh, so I really wanted to do it and I was really excited about it but it was just a lot harder because of just there seemed to be so much more re- at least at that point there seemed to be so much more restrictions on what you could yeah. do and it just it just kind of felt like a struggle sometimes to tell the story I wanted to tell
1: and you've also um, you also teach you teach workshop writing workshops as well and I wondered if that's something which it was quite important to you because obviously you've You used to kind of started off almost going to these workshops and stuff. And is that something which you wanted to give back to go full circle with almost?
2: Yeah, I did. And I really do enjoy teaching them. Uh, I haven't done it, you know, because of the pandemic. Um, I I normally do the one con in Austin has a day long writing workshop on Friday of the convention. And they usually have, um, you know, around 40 or so people uh, sign up. And um, they have usually it's two teachers per group of four or five, and but this year I've got so much going on. I just I don't I I didn't want to kind of do it and end up it being another source of stress because I didn't have enough time to put into the the preparation for it. So I'd really like to be at a point where I could get back and 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 to at least doing that workshop and and maybe others
0: and and just going back to murderbot it's uh the tv rights um have been sold uh, are you able to update us at all on, on what's happening with that
2: um we hear things occasionally i've i've read the pilot script and i really liked it i really liked what they did with it um it's only all systems read it's not any of the others yet mm. and um and all i nearly know is they've been working on it and um they keep getting to the point where they think they're ready to make a, a formal announcement about it. And then, you know, they, then something happens and they can't do it. So that's kind of what we're still waiting on. The last we heard is they thought things were going well, I think. And, okay. and then, and, and progressing, but, but, but that's about it.
0: Excellent. Well, we look forward to that when, whenever it does come out. <laughs> What was the last book that you read?
2: Oh, um, the last, hmm, I can't, oh, it's probably, I know uh, there's been several, I'll just name several, uh, Jade Legacy by Fonda Lee. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that trilogy. That was just really, it felt really just innovative to me. Um, Nevo uh, uh, has a new book out, Siren Queen. It just came out, I think last Tuesday, maybe. Uh, I love that book. I loved her uh, other work. Um, she got a Yugo for, I think it was the, was it, uh, is either maybe The Tiger Comes Down the Mountain or The Empress of Salt and Fortune? I can't remember. She got a Yugo. <laughs> I know because I was there. <laughs> I was there in Washington, D.C. when uh the same time I got my two Yugos. I love all her work. Uh, the Chosen and the Beautiful uh, is fabulous. Um I love her more secondary world fantasy, the um the Empress of Salt and Fortune and the Tiger King Down the Mountain. Uh, Siren Queen is more. I think it's set in the same world as The Chosen and the Beautiful, where it's sort of it's um, which is that book is a retelling of the great Gatsby. And it's the same era, but it's about um um pre-code Hollywood uh, in the before 1930, 33 or 34. Um, when they could do whatever they wanted. And the, 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 the real history of that period is really interesting. But she's done it where, um, uh, well, I don't want to spoil too much of it, but the magic involved is really cool. And it's a, just a really fabulous, fascinating book. Um, I also like, I'm really waiting for C.L. Polk's new book to come out. Um, uh, I think, but I think that's later in the year. I'll probably try to get them to send me an early copy of it. Because I don't want to wait. Um, and uh, Neon Young has a new book coming out, and I got to read that early. Um, I think it's The Genesis of Misery. That's what it's called, and that was fabulous. So yeah, I've been I've been reading a lot more slowly just during. I don't know what it is during the pandemic. So it's just brain slowing down or something. <laughs> well, so I haven't been reading nearly as much as I normally do, but it feels like the books are the the new science fiction fantasy is just getting better and better.
1: Yeah. And um, what about the last film that you watched?
2: Oh, the last film was Spider-Man No Way Home. Nice. We've been, we've been trying not to go to theaters, even though it's very tempting, but we were finally able to rent it or buy it yeah. or something. We, we, we got, we were able to get it on our TV and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I'm a big Marvel fan and um, um, I'm, looking forward to one doctor the the new one the doctor strange one yeah I'm looking yeah. at that
0: yeah there was a there's a moment that this is spoiler so if you haven't seen spider-man turn off your ears um, and <laughs> there was a moment where all three of the Sp- spider Men land on the top of the statue <laughs> of liberty and i was just like this is you know 12-year-old me could never have imagined <laughs> that this this would be happening. Right? The, whole, so
1: it, the whole film is a kind of like a fanboy dream. It's like, yeah. imagine if these yeah. different studios kind of came together and these actors and, you know, but they actually did it and they went, took it all the way. And it's it's kind of nuts that a studio did a, a risk almost to do something like that. It, it, I thought it was fantastic, yeah.
2: But yeah, it it worked. I mean, yeah, there was fan early fangirl is screaming in my head the whole time. <laughs>
0: and uh, the last tv show that you watched or are, are watching
2: uh the one i finished last was moon night and i really liked it uh i didn't know anything about the character uh but i kind of like that i like going into something and not having any clue what's going on mm-hmm. and i don't particularly care if i have a clue what's going on even later too i just mm-hmm. like you know if i'm if i'm engaged then then i'm enjoying it probably uh the others I watched I still I watched The Flash. I was really disappointed when Legends of Tomorrow got cancelled. Oh, yeah. I thought that was a fabulous show.
1: Um It's funny, I used to watch I, I was so into the whole Arrowverse for for years and watched all of Arrow and the first few scenes of Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl Flash, and then I realized I was I was spending like I didn't have enough time. There was there was like <laughs> twenty seasons, series, all with like twenty episodes, and I was like, I don't have enough I'm not just spending every spare time I've got <laughs> no, exactly. up on all these shows. It was taking yeah. over my life.
2: Yeah, you don't have anything you don't have time to watch anything else. <laughs> no, it's exactly.
1: Like, I can watch anything else. I had to stay on top of the of the outerverse. It was nuts.
2: Yeah, there's a point where it was like two hours a night, except like for <laughs> most of the week, and it's like, okay, this is getting a little much.
1: <laughs> uh well that's I mean, the the very last thing we always do is a super quick fire either or. And I will say there's no right answer apart from one. So we'll start off with Star Wars or Stargate.
2: Uh, Stargate.
0: Uh, oh. TV. Oh, sorry. No, you can expand on it if you want.
2: <laughs> yeah, and TV. The, yeah, Stargate TV. I, I liked that much better than the. I liked the movie until I and then I saw the series and liked it much better. The both the Stargate, Stargate SG One and Stargate Atlantis.
0: Okay. So, uh, TV or cinema.
2: Um. That's a hard one, but I think TV. There's so much cool TV out now. It's yeah. in, in on the streaming services that yeah, the 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 variety is incredible.
1: Um night owl or early bird?
2: Uh early bird.
0: Um music or no music when you're writing?
2: Um I love music, but I tend not to remember to turn it on when I'm writing.
1: And the last one, real book or e-book?
2: Ah uh, I've been reading more ebooks lately because I I thought I would always want real books but or print books but having them on my phone uh I've gotten I really think. used to reading them on my phone and like I'd like to read in the bathtub and it's a lot more convenient that way
1: <laughs> no chance of getting wet with books and yeah. r- ruining pages exactly no ebook was the correct answer and I'm very glad to find someone to back it up your
0: you please Tarik there because a lot of people say real books but yeah, yeah you, a lot of
1: people you... are wrong Mark <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: well thanks very much to Martha for coming on to the podcast I really enjoyed that and I know Tarek did as well and um, we're both really looking forward to the Murderbot Diaries TV show when that comes out um, we've put a link in the podcast description so you can pick up the Murderbot Diaries and Martha's other books so I um, highly recommend you do that And looking forward to next week, we've got another great guest in the form of Chris Whittaker, author of uh, the massive hit We Begin at the End. Um, His debut, Tall Oaks, actually won the CWA Debut Dagger Award that Tarek was recently nominated for. And it's a really interesting chat with Chris about his career and his writing process. So I hope you're able to join us for that one. If you enjoyed today's podcast, uh, please do give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app. Uh, and also be sure to follow and subscribe to us uh, on your pod- favourite podcast app because all of that helps us stay in the charts. And we are slowly climbing those charts and that will help us to continue to get great guests as well. Um, if you want to get in touch with a question or even a comment to say how much you're enjoying the show or not, um, please uh, you can please do so. And you can do that on any of our social media, which is at UKPage1. Or you can drop us an email at podcast at rightgear.co.uk But otherwise, have a great week and we'll see you next episode.